are back. Welcome to another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line, with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers. And we talk to the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, the costume designers, production designers, sound mixers, sound editors, composers, film editors, you name it, we talk to them. Authors, hosts, um, we, everybody knows I'm an equal opportunity offender, but I'm also an equal opportunity shine a lighter uh, on all the different aspects of film and television making. And very excited about today's show because, as we all know, we're counting down to TCM Film Festival, my favorite event of the year. TCM Film Festival is next week, April 21 through 24, in the heart of Hollywood again. Uh, TCM Film Festival headquarters is Hollywood Roosevelt uh, with screenings, over 100 screenings uh, throughout the festival, plus special events. will be at the TCL Chinese Theater, the Chinese Six Upstairs, at the beautiful and gorgeous... Hollywood Legion Theater at Post 43, El Capitan, of course, and not to be missed are some of the poolside screenings at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. But we're going to talk more about TCM in just a minute, and you're also going to get to hear my exclusive interview with Dave Carger, one of TCM's illustrious hosts, who will be at the festival next week. Uh, I got to talk with, with Dave uh, actually back in February, and have held on to the interview so it would be more timely, because I knew if you heard it back in February, you weren't going to remember anything he said until now, when the festival is, is uh, next week. So, you're going to hear all of that in a minute. But first, if you happen to be watching, quote-unquote watching loosely, if you're on Facebook and you're looking at the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page, Normally, Big Boss Nick, he loves his toys, and he normally has Mevo. Mevo's been broken for a few weeks to give you a live stream of me sitting behind a desk and talking. Uh, but the highlight of that is every week I change up all the tablescapes and show you all kinds of cool things. Uh, but without Mevo, by the way, if anybody out there knows how to get Mevo working again, since Nick can't... Um, Drop me an email. Call the, call the station at 1-800-405-NICK. I kid you not. That's the phone number. 1-800-405-NICK. Uh, and talk to Pam. And give her some tips on how to fix Mevo so it works. But without Mevo, Nick has his little standby camera that's a fly on the wall in the corner of the room. So if you're on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page, you will see... A kind of blurry, kind of sort of blurry. No, it looks okay. Pam says it looks okay. Uh, pointing down. And this week's tablescape, of course, we have one of my favorite TCM tote bags. We also have, I have to give a big shout out to Apple TV once again. Apple TV, I love your swag and I love you for sending it. This week, I get to show you what they have sent for their new show, Pachinko. Um, 
it's a beautiful, beautiful show. Um, and I don't have anything with pictures to hold up, but they sent a beautiful cotton blanket. Now, those of you that follow me on social media know that I go crazy crocheting blankets, but there's nothing like a good, soft cotton blanket. Trust me. I have one that is 62 years old. This could be replacing that because mine has holes in it um, because it's rotting. (laughs) But beautiful blanket, some lovely sake, tea, Japanese tea, a handmade, hand-fired cup and then a lovely lovely little teacup that it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen that you put all your tea leaves in there and then you can lift out that part and it just leaves fresh water and not tea leaves to get stuck on your tongue um, but thank you Apple Apple TV this lovely um, so now I got my big thank you out of the way for those of you also, that follow me uh, on social media and regular listeners of the show know one of my dear gal pals uh, back in Philly, New York Times bestselling author Lita Scott- Lisa Scottolini. Lisa has a new book that's out called What Happened to the Bennetts? And it's phenomenal. I think it's one of her best thrillers uh, out of her, I think, 34 books she's done now. And I've read every single one. Um, but her craftsmanship and the structure of the story, the characters, the intrigue, intrigue, she blew me away. Um, she builds twists and turns with a rapier intensity, and she walks a fine line with this story between justice and vengeance, because this is a story about Jason Bennett, a suburban dad who owns a court reporting business, and yes, they're always legal characters in all of Lisa's books, because Lisa is a essentially a non-practicing lawyer. She was licensed for many years. She a clerk for an appellate justice. Uh, she doesn't practice anymore. She writes too many books to practice. But the law comes into all of her books. So we have this poor dad. Um, he's driving his family home one night from his daughter's field hockey game. A pickup truck tailgates them. Two men jump out, pull guns on Jason and his family, take his car. And there is a flash of violence. The FBI then shows up later that night, and they tell Jason that the carjackers are members of a dangerous drug trafficking organization, and he and his family are now in danger. Uh, FBI recommends they enter witness protection right away. But Witsec protects criminal informants, not law-abiding families. So they're thrown into this world they don't understand. But then certain truths come to light. And sometimes to get justice, you got you got to take care of it yourself. It is, you will read it from beginning to end. I read it nonstop, did not put it down till I finished it. I cannot recommend it highly enough. If you like thrillers, definitely check out what happened to the Bennetts. It's available everywhere. All your your mom and pop stores, Amazon, everywhere. Good reads. So please check it out. Um, Lisa can always use the money for her horses and her chickens and her dogs. Um, So, you know, it goes to how all of her income helps her animals. (laughs) 
So, but, and there's also another book I have to tell you about if you love stunts in film, especially over the past century plus, you want to check out Danger on the Silver Screen, 50 Films Celebrating Cinema's Greatest Stunts. It is written by Scott McGee, one of the TCM programmers. Brand new book. It just came out, I think, last week. It is chock full of information on some of the seminal stunts in the history of stunts on film. And I'm so excited because quite a few of the old stuntmen uh, from the earlier days of film and television who I've had the privilege to know during my lifetime are mentioned in this book as some of the stunt forefathers uh, and heroes. But it's just, it's broken out. The book is wonderful. It's chock full of pictures of specific stunts. Uh, everything is broken out. So I don't know if you can see it on the camera, but, you know, a, a mini kind of title lobby card, an image from the film, lists all the, the major stunt people, your stunt coordinator, as well as your director and your main cast. It is a really great book. For all the cinephiles out there, it's a must-have for your library. Now, sometime after, I've already talked to TCM. Scott and I are going to do an interview on the book after the TCM Festival because he's an integral part of the festival, uh, and that's where his focus is right now. So once that's out of the way, uh, sometime probably the beginning of May, we're going to talk about the book, and you're going to hear that interview right here on Behind the Lens. While we're talking about TCM, let's jump back into TCM Film Festival here. And 13th Annual TCM Film Festival. The past two years, festival was virtual because of COVID and the pandemic. This year, the festival is in person, as I said at the top, um, in Hollywood. They have a gazillion health and safety protocols that are in effect for anybody going to the festival you can go to tcm.com backslash festival and find out all the protocols you can also get the, the whole lineup and what's really great is they have done a handy dandy little printout for you that you can and, and is designed to print out so you can print out take it with you uh, knowing TCM that during the festival they will also have the programming schedule in a little fold-out thing as they normally do. It's color-coded by categories and genres. So you've got Back from Battle, Class Reunions, there's Club TCM, everybody's favorite Club TCM, New Discoveries, The Essentials, Festival Tributes, a lot of tributes this year. A lot of tributes. Of course, first of all, starting with E.T., opening night, and showing up for opening night and E.T. will be Steven Spielberg himself, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, Drew Barrymore, Henry Thomas, D. Wallace, Robert McNaughton will all be there opening night, walking the red carpet, and be in the theater. So if you are lucky enough to have a pass or a ticket, to go for opening night, you are in for a real treat. As I said, there are over 100-plus screenings. 
Special events include Lily Tomlin gets her hand and footprints outside the Chinese Theater uh, on Friday, April 22nd. I'll be there for that. I'm very excited. Lily is just an absolute joy. Uh, I can just imagine who the guests will be introducing her and who will be in attendance. There's also a very cool event on Sunday the 24th. A live script reading of I Married a Monster from Outer Space. Uh, that Anybody who has ever gone to a live script reading um, or a polished table read that is often done at charity events. I know there was one done uh, a few months before Ed Asner passed away in Beverly Hills. Ruta Lee and Ed Asner participated in, and it was a play. Uh, that, that they were reading, they weren't performing. It was essentially a table read. Um, so those are always entertaining. The Robert Osborne Award this year is being presented to Leonard Malton. I can think of no more deserving person than Leonard. Um, there's also, because this year's festival theme is all together now, back to the big screen, um, for obvious reasons. It's a good theme. Uh, the film Cooley High, 1975's Cooley High, will be screening. And present at that screening will be Michael Schultz, director Michael Schultz, and, and the stars Glenn Turman, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, a lot of you may also remember him from Room 222, Garrett Morris, and Stephen Williams. They're going to introduce the film. Uh, also, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of Diner. Who's going to show up for that? You're going to have Kevin Bacon, Paul Reiser, Steve Gutenberg, and Tim Daly on hand for that one. Then, I don't believe this one, Warren Beatty will be live and in person for his film, Heaven Can Wait. And can you believe it's been 30 years since, a league of, since Penny Marshall's A League of Their Own? There's no crying in baseball. Well, there may be crying in baseball at the 30th anniversary screening of A League of Their Own. I can tell you that much, especially when you've got there to talk about the film will be Lori Petty, Ann Ramsey, Ann Cusack, Megan Cavanaugh, and John Lovitz. Uh, that should be beyond entertaining. Pam Greer will be on hand to talk about the black black. Uh, black exploitation film Coffee and of course one of the most beloved actresses around with one of the uh, probably one of the top five tearjerker romantic love stories in history Jane Seymour will be there for a special screening of Somewhere in Time and if you're going to that Bring boxes of tissues. If you haven't seen the film before, definitely bring boxes. If you've seen it before, but you haven't seen it on the big screen, I've seen it on the big screen, and it is glorious. And it seems that when you watch on the big screen, you cry even more than when you're sitting at home watching it. And Jane is always a joy to hear talk about this film, which is so dear to her heart. Then... 70th anniversary screening of Singing in the Rain. Um, gotta have that. I'm trying to think if there's been a festival that Singing in the Rain has not screened at. But 
Paula Abdul will be on hand for that to talk about the film uh, as Jean Kelly was one of her mentors and a friend who inspired her to become a dancer. I personally, am, I haven't heard, I'm holding out hope we might see Jean's widow, Patricia Ward Kelly, again. She has come to TCM festivals before. Uh, I think she would be the perfect person to be on hand for Singing in the Rain and the 70th anniversary screening. But I have heard nothing yet to the effect that she will be there or won't be. So my fingers are crossed that Patricia shows up. Eileen Quinn will be there for the 40th anniversary of Annie. Can you believe all of these films are now falling into a classic category? So much time is passing so quickly. Margaret O'Brien, a beloved, beloved classic film star, uh, probably best known as Beth in Little Women. She will be on hand. Or um, for Meet Me in St. Louis as little Tootie singing, you know, under the, what is the under the what tree? I can't remember it. It's under the bamboo tree with Judy Garland. The Sting is going to be celebrated with writer David S. Ward and producers Michael Phillips and Tony Bill. Sorry, Robert Redford will not be there. Unless we get a big surprise, and that'll be a huge one. Um, Keith Carradine, huge, huge, huge supporter of TCM, and it's always a joy at every festival. Keith will be back, and he's going to be talking about Angels with Dirty Faces, starring Jimmy Cagney. Topher Grace is on hand for the 40th anniversary of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, and that's going to be a poolside screening at the Hollywood Roosevelt. And here's a tip for you. Anybody going to the poolside screenings? Get there early because, boy, it fills up fast out there. Then we're going to have John Sales and actor-producer Maggie Renzi are coming. They're coming back to the festival, and now they're presenting Return of the Secaucus 7. And oh, one of the most exciting events at every festival is the Mont Alto Motion Picture Orchestra performing a live accompaniment to a film. Now, normally these have been done at the Egyptian theater in the past. The Egyptian is currently undergoing demolition, con reconstruction, remodeling. I don't know the exact status of the Egyptian, but it's not part of the TCM Film Festival this year. But Montalto will Orchestra will be performing and accompanying Frank Borzage's silent drama, Seventh Heaven. Got an 80th anniversary screening of Maisie Gets Her Man, starring Ann Southern and Red Skelton. And we never get to see enough Red Skelton films. We never get to see enough. So that's a really great, great addition to the fest. And 90th anniversary screenings of some pre-code films. You know, before those pesky G, PG, R, X. Before those ratings came in. Uh, and those will be three on a match with Betty Davis and Joan Blondell and Ann Dvorak. If you haven't seen it, it's a great film. And then Too Busy to Work, starring Will Rogers. Uh, there's a new restoration of Top Copy. Houseboat, Cary Grant, Sophia Loren film is screening. Harvey Girls, also. Then we've got a ton of fun things. A new restoration of the 1937 A Star is Born. Uh, the Wizard of Oz will be screening in celebration of Judy Garland's 100th birthday. Uh, the Pajama Game, celebrating Doris Day's 100th birthday. 
Uh, the Flame and the Arrow. Flame and the Arrow is going to be a fun one, people, um, because you're going to have Ben Burt and Craig Barron, sound gurus extraordinaire, will be presenting the film and talking about sound. Uh, our friend Steve Lee, the Hollywood Sound Museum, Steve has been here on Behind the Lens, and we have talked about, about Ben and sound countless times. Um, and Ben is just one of the sweetest guys around, and he's funny. Um, so if you get a chance, The Flame and the Arrow with Ben Burt and Craig Barron on hand. Then we're going to have Stanwick in Babyface, Counselor at Law with John Barrymore, directed by William Wyler, A Man Called Adam with Sammy Davis Jr., Cicely Tyson, Louis Armstrong, Mel Torme. And then... Two films, one I'm really looking forward to is Jewel Robbery, the 90th anniversary of Jewel Robbery, which stars William Powell and Kay Francis. But then a big one, and you're going to hear in just a minute Dave Carger talk about this one. This is one Dave and I are both looking forward to, The Last of Sheila. It is a murder mystery, stars Richard Benjamin, Diane Cannon, Raquel Welsh, written by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins. Yes, Psycho. Psycho, Anthony Perkins, Norman Bates, and Stephen Sondheim teamed up to write The Last of Sheila. These are just some of the highlights of what's going to be happening at TCM Festival. Um, I know that passes are still available. You can, you'll be able to get single tickets as well. Go to tcm.com festival to get more information. If next week's show is not totally booked with talent, I'm hoping to have some more information for you on the fest. But that's why normally I would do the TCM build-up the Monday before the festival starts. But because of the chance that next week is going to be back-to-back-to-back people, uh, I didn't want anyone to miss out on TCM. So that's why I bumped it up a week to today. Um, But now... I'm going to let you hear from one of the big voices from TCM. Take a listen to what Dave Carger has to say about the 13th annual TCM Film Festival. I hear the voice. I hear the voice. Hello. How are you? I am fine. Good, sir. How are you doing? I'm hanging in. I'm I'm thrilled. I may actually get to see you live and in person on the red carpet this year. I'm feeling good about it. I think I think it's looking good. And we, oh my God, wait until you hear what we have. I, I, I'm not allowed to say anything, but holy shit, we have some, we have something really cool happening. Oh, I'm I am so anxious. I am dying because I haven't done a carpet since 2020. Wow, this is gonna be a good one. You and Ben and Ileana, you guys all know this is my favorite anyway. So it's the only one I really care about. Sure. But I'm so excited for the festival. But before I ask you things about the fest, including today's really cool press release about the 40th anniversary of ET and Spielberg showing up, oh, that came out. Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh shoot. Okay. Well then, then, I, then we can talk about. It. Came out and I immediately went aha, and I made a note. Spielberg to attend. So I'm very excited because he doesn't do these kind of things. This is a, it's a thrill for us. I mean, and and I mean, come on, he's he's our godfather. Yeah, he's our, he's our guy. 
And yeah. there's nobody that we would be more excited to have at the opening night of our festival than... Well, you know, the only thing that would make it even better would be if you were able to show the original West Side Story, his new West Side Story, and have Rita there with him. Oh, my God. Well, you know, as, as you know, Rita attended our virtual premiere, our virtual film festival in this past year. I know. United her with Ross and George Shakira. Yeah. Yep. Maybe we're, it, maybe it'd be too much of a good thing. Well, we can hope, can't we? That's what TCM is all about. <laughs> the dreams, the movies, the dreams of which stuff is made. So, <laughs> but what you can't, <laughs> what you can help me with is TCM Film Festival 2022. I know we're still in the early stages of announcements. I love what I'm reading and seeing so far. Some of these films this year, some great anniversary films again, Pajama Game, Doris Day's 100th Birthday, Jewel Robbery that I haven't seen in forever, 90th anniversary of that. The one I'm, I'm really excited about, The Flame and the Arrow. And Ben Burt and Craig Barron, Barron presenting and doing some kind of presentation because that one, I believe, if my history is correct, that is the film that that really helped take off the sound of an arrow. Well, yeah, and there's no, I mean, there is no one more entertaining um, than Ben. Than those guys. <laughs> when I went, I watched them do their Raiders of the Lost Ark um, presentation, and they were just phenomenal. They're so fascinating. They, they're so good at kind of presenting these things in, in layman's terms, if you will. Mm -hmm. And um, it, they're, they're just great. So we're, we're so happy just to have them do anything. I'm excited for The Last of Sheila. I'm very excited about that. And also, A Man Called Adam. Yeah. The Last yeah. of Sheila, though, Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins... I, this, I don't think, has even aired on TCM before. No, it has. It has. I've actually introduced it. Um, but it's, it's the kind of movie, it's a little campy, so you, it, to see it with a big old crowd is going to be fascinating. And you, I know that like the really great fans are going to be there for that one. Well, the, ca the, the cast in, in itself is just... I don't care how campy yeah. it is. The cast makes it worthwhile. I mean, Richard Benjamin, who's also going to be a guest at the fest... Diane Cannon, Raquel Welch. I know. Some real gems, but, you know, you've got A Man Called Adam, which is such an underrated film, and it is so significant in the grand scheme of films. And to see that, I think, is great. Also, Counselor at Law, and, you know, we've got The Sting, but the uh, A Star is Born, that new restoration that's so exciting when they when they can find something like that that is going to play so well on a big screen. Um, I think that's what's really special about the festival is that when our, when our programmers are able to to locate and or or help with a new restoration and, and bring a beloved film uh, back to the big screen in a way that feels new to even the most diehard fans. And then of course I'm sure you know Lily Tomlin will be there. Yes. Um, I and let you know we're going to give our Robert Osborne Award to Leonard Malton, who I get to co-host with all the time, and he's one of my absolute favorite people. Um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of great people that we're going to be giving tributes to. So that's 
very exciting too. I, I think Alice needs a co-Robert Osborne award along with Leonard. <laughs> what a great idea! I think Alice needs. I think Alice needs one. Curious, um, Dave. How is the loss of the Egyptian this year impacting the festival in terms of the number of screenings? Do you know? I don't know, but I I think that we all, as you know we have this newer venue, uh, the Post Forty Three, mm-hmm. which I think if if there is some slack to be picked up, I'm sure that can help it. Um, and we have then we have you know we still have the Chinese and we still have um, you know the multiplex mm-hmm. the Chinese. So I think. I think we're pretty covered as far as great venues are concerned. Well, and, you know, not having the Egyptian, a lot of people complained about making the walk and doing it timely, and it was cutting, forcing oh, them to make true. choices. So now that walk, you're not going to have that walk to make. So <laughs> there you go. So we all have to eat less. As Margaret O'Brien has always said, there is told me there is nothing better than a movie theater hot dog. So as long as they're stocked on hot dogs and popcorn, we're good. Good. Okay, I like that. I like your attitude. <laughs> Are there any big films um, that that you're looking forward to with this one or big events? Um, at the festival. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, for me, it's the, I guess it's the stuff. Not to repeat myself, Debbie, but it's the stuff I've already mentioned. It's like it's honoring Leonard Maltin, who mm-hmm. is such a friend of the channel and such a hero of mine. Um, it's you know having Lily Tomlin there, who not only is such a fabulous performer, but behind the scenes helped get a documentary like The Celluloid Closet made. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she helped raise money for it and did the narration. Um, and then, as I said last year, Sheila, I'm so there. Yeah. Um, I just, I want to witness that with like a real fun uh, audience. And I think, I think that's going to be a, a special moment. <laughs> I mean, I'm dying for that. I, I really have to make sure that I see that one with an audience uh, during this fest. I'm That's one I'm looking for. That one and I think Jewel Robbery are probably my two biggest ones that I'm looking for. And, of course, then sitting there to listen to Ben and Craig regale us, as usual. Yeah. You can't miss out on that. But how would you sum up the meaning of the TCM Film Festival for you, Dave? What does this festival mean to you? I love it because it's an opportunity for us as hosts to get to know the most, the most enthusiastic TCM fans and viewers that we have. That is, this and the cruise are really special for us because, you know, we're most of the time we're in Atlanta in the studio with our wonderful crew, but it's, you know, 10 or 12 people. And this is a chance for us to you know, really get a sense of what the TCM fans love to see and what they want to talk about when they meet us and um, and just to witness their enthusiasm for these movies firsthand. The other thing that I love, and I don't know for a fact, and I'm sorry, I hope, I hope this happens, I love it when, and I don't know, maybe with COVID it's not going to be possible, but I love it when we show a silent film with a live orchestra. Mm. So any content, we can do something like that show a nitrate print, show a, uh, a restored ha- or have something like that with a, with a live orchestra. That, to me, is, is really the thrill of it. And, of course, the special guests that we are able to bring get to, you know, do these kind of public appearances and, uh, and meet with the fans. So that's exciting for us. I am so there and looking forward to it. I, I had my, my press credential application in within 15 minutes of... Uh, 
the, the announcement a few weeks Welcome ago. Oh, my God. Dave, as always, because I know you've got a packed day. I have a packed day. Right. It is such a joy to talk to you. We will definitely get to do it in live, in person, face-to-face, -face, or mask-to-mask -mask on the carpet. Uh, all right. See you then. And that was Dave Carger, one of the faces and voices of TCM. And Dave will be introducing a lot of stuff at the festival. And he will be there opening night on the red carpet. Um, and at the point of our interview, he was hoping that there was going to be a live orchestra. And as I said before uh, my interview with Dave, yes, that is confirmed. There will be a live orchestra for a silent film, which is always if you've never experienced it, um, if I had to tell you one, one thing at the festival to see, if you can only pick one thing for the experience of a lifetime, having a live orchestra playing with the silent film, that is something you will never forget. It is phenomenal. All right. So... TCM Film Festival next week, April 21 through 24. Hollywood Roosevelt Headquarters, Chi TCL Chinese Theater, El Capitan, Post 43. Be there, but go to tcm.com slash festival to get all the ticket information, pass information, schedule information, health protocol information. It's all there. So... I'm so excited to switch gears right now and welcome this incredible, incredible creator, executive producer, and writer, Miranda Kwok. Miranda, oh my God, I am so thrilled to have you on the show. Hi, Debbie. So thrilled to be here with you. Oh my God, you are. And first, congratulations on a season two pickup for The Cleaning Lady. Thank you so much. I know it's so exciting. I was beyond excited when I heard that. But I have to I am obsessed with this series. Obsessed. And I binge watched the entire 10 episodes all day on Saturday. <laughs> uh again, cuz I had seen some of the episodes, I couldn't see all of them, but I sat there and I binge watched all 10 episodes on Saturday. And I just sat there going, okay, I want season two now. I want season two now. We get to the end of, of episode 10, The Crown, and I'm just like, oh, I need it now. Uh, well, that's just such a fun way to watch the show because, uh, you know, most people had to wait a week. So it's great that you were able to binge it. Yeah, um, because and that's, I, I grew up in the days of where you had to wait a week for your shows for the next episode. But that's one thing about a series that is as addictive as The Cleaning Lady. Um, and you've got so much happening. It's like it ends and you immediately want to see what happens next. Because you are so good at crafting characters and putting all of the dynamics together. You have a lot of themes happening here. Uh, you have something for all, all different walks of life. Life situations. You've got hot button topics. You've got some fun happening in here, too. I mean, who doesn't like seeing Vegas? Uh, <laughs> unless it's taking all my money. But you just... It, it's phenomenal. 
Uh-oh, did we lose Miranda? Uh-oh, I think we lost her. Okay, do we do we have her back? Okay. All right, we have you back now. Yes, I am back. So sorry about that. That's <laughs> okay. No, I was saying this is the kind of series that you keep us on the edge of our seats. Um, you've got great characters. You've got great situations, themes, um, wonderful performances. And, of course, you know, who doesn't like Vegas? I think the, la- <laughs> the last good show we really had set in Vegas was the show Vegas with Robert Urich. Um, but this is, it's impossible, impossible not to be glued to the set when you watch it, um, because it is that riveting. Uh, you know, I know that this is based on the Argentinian series, La Chica Que Limpia, um, but I also know that you have tweaked it a bunch. From <laughs> from the Argentinian <laughs> series. Talk to me about this process, Miranda. What was it about La Chica Que Limpia that appealed to you, that made you think, hmm, yeah, I can do something with this and retool it for an American television audience? Yeah, I was really inspired to um, retool it in a way that, um, you know, told the story from the lens of an undocumented immigrant. So taking the aspect of her being a cleaning lady, but that she wasn't always a cleaning lady, that she was a doctor in her country before she came here. But like many immigrants, you know, she wasn't able to, you know, work her profession um, because her credentials don't, you know, don't follow through. So it was a way to, um, you know, tell the story from a different lens, a different standpoint, and yet hit a lot of social issues um, surrounding immigrants and undocumented people today. And, you know, really shine a lens on on that and bring out the humanity of the character um, and really try to bring empathy and compassion towards somebody who is simply struggling and struggling to do the best for her child, to, to save her son. And, you know, it's, that's a really a universal theme that mm-hmm. I think that so many people can relate to. And so when they see this journey of hers, that they can, um, they can empathize, they can be compassionate towards her because of that journey. Well, you know, and it's not just our, our we'll call her a heroine. Uh, she truly is in, ma- in many respects. Tony, play- beautifully played by Elodie Young, um, is a heroine, but... It's not just her perspective that we're seeing. Um, number one, the fact that she is a Southeast Asian woman. This is something we don't see on screen. So you step up. It's not just, you're not just looking at um, illegal immigrants and those type of situations. You take us a step further. And, and Tony is a Southeast Asian woman. Um, not, yeah. the, not the typical Hispanic that you would expect. And I think that gives us, that opens you up with more cultural issues. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it's a perspective we haven't seen, um, on American television ever. Yeah. And, uh, at the same time, there are so many Filipino immigrants and, 
and Asian immigrants and Southeast Asian immigrants that we don't get to hear their story because so often they are pushed into the shadows and marginalized mm-hmm. and, and ignored. And, you know, that is very much a part of the story as well. Um, you know, you mentioned setting it in Vegas, which obviously brings in a lot of the fun and the glamour. But, you know, Vegas is a city of, of, of dreams and hopes and, mm-hmm. and wealth. And yet there's so many people who are holding up that city. Yeah. Um, you know, the people who are the, the workers and the, the underclass and the unprivileged. And so it was really about trying to shine a light on on these people and just showing, again, the humanity of, of these people and to show that, you know, no matter what job you hold or what background you have, what country you're from, everyone deserves the same kind of dignity and respect as everyone else. And that is, of course, a huge theme of the show. Mm-hmm. And what's very interesting, what you also do is we have a Don Canto who I have fallen in love with between this show and Agent Game. I think he's fabulous. <laughs> I'll see him in anything. Um, he plays Armand Morales, who is the right hand to uh, an Armenian immigrant, Hayek, who is he's a mobster. He's got his own, you know, gone are the days of Al Capone. It's not it's not the Italian or the Irish. No, now we, we got the Armenian mob in here. Um, we've got cartels popping up. But what's interesting is that the character of Armand, he is an immigrant. His father was a gardener, you know, a a Hispanic gardener. Hayek is an immigrant, an Armenian immigrant, with his own culture and beliefs. And what's interesting is watching the dynamic that you've created between Armand and Tony when he initially hires her to clean up a mess. A hit. Um, you got to call in a professional for those blood stains. I got <laughs> <laughs> and but to watch them and see something that I think is really interesting is he is someone who has made good. He has achieved the American dream, albeit working for a mobster. But okay, but he's also running a semi-legitimate club and. And he's very well respected, and he he dresses nice, and he wears exp- drives expensive cars, has an expensive home, and here you have Tony, who essentially started out similarly to him, coming with nothing, and he's always in front of her. And I think a big part of the dynamic between Armand and Tony is he sees so much of his route in her journey now. And what she's trying to achieve. Uh, And I find that so interesting to see that connection between the two of them, between the two of them. And I think it extends to that similarity, that journey of stepping up and doing whatever you have to do to make, to be successful at whatever. For Tony, it's getting medical care for her very ill son. Uh, Luca and for Armand it's stepping up so that he would never be in poverty like his father was and the the similarities are so striking in watching these people connect and I love that that you have done gone to that depth of character construction well thank you yes it, it really is the thing that 
um, that draws them to each other and, and, and allows them to have this connection uh, that they have with no one else, right? They see each other. Um, they know the struggle that each of them has faced, um, which also allows them to call each other out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at certain points as well. Because, you know, we, we do share that Armand didn't want to get into crime either. He it was not a choice except that he had to take care of his own father. Mm-hmm. And so he completely recognizes that in in Tony. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, yeah, we think it's a really special bond and really special relationship that they have that isn't, you know, based on, on you know, on sex or physical attraction, although that's very much a part of it. But they, it's more that they grow into that. Mm-hmm. You know, they see each other as people first, um, and, and their relationship just strengthens from there. And that's one of the great strengths of the series, Miranda, is that, it's all of the connections. We've got the family connection between Tony and her sister-in-law, Fiona. Fiona gets a little weird and goes off the wall with, with get, being overexcited about things sometimes. But, <laughs> you know, she's there. She is diehard. She will do anything for Tony. Um, you know, similarly for Armand's wife, Nadia. Um, she could be stone, she's stone cold and an ice queen. But and she does and she wants, 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 and he wants to give to her. Um, but she'll stand by him as he tries to do what he thinks is best to give her what she wants and to keep himself out out of the the fray of Hayek when Hayek gets uh cranky, shall we say. Uh <laughs> which he does. <laughs> but it's it's these family dynamics, friend dynamics but it's the similarity. It is the connection that I see in so many of these people. Yeah, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. And obviously, based on the success of the show, millions of people are relating to these people, crossing ethnic divide, crossing racial divide, crossing religious divide. Because um, you even bring religion into this with, uh, with Fiona and Tony. And their Buddhist faith. Um, just, you you are crossing the lines. You are crossing boundaries with this, Miranda. And I think it's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, yes, I, I mean, it's definitely intentional to show that there are many people from many different backgrounds who, you know, at the core are, are more the same than they are different, right? And, mm-hmm. and that is about you know, drawing out who they are as people and, um, you know, how they are all struggling in whatever form it is, um, no matter what station they have in life, they're all struggling to do their best, to do their best for their family and make choices, even though the circumstances are not ideal. And so sometimes they're forced to make choices they don't necessarily want to make, um, but they're, you know, they have the best intentions behind them and they are looking out for their own families. And and as you said, there are many different families and many different forms of family, mm-hmm. um, which is also, you know, fun to to explore as, as well and to and to show those parallels. Yeah. And you do it. You do it so well. And, you know, you even take us down into Mexico. And one of the big things that per- has permeated that's permeating all of season one thus far has been 
health care. That is, that's really Tony's driving force that sets her in motion to come to the United States is health care for her sick son, for Luca. And you show us, and this I have to commend your production team, your directors. You get eight directors, um, three of which are women uh, on the series. You've got four cinematographers, four editors. You've got a female cinematographer. You've got female editors. Um, very female-centric here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, you carry through. Healthcare is such a big issue in this country. And you, without hammering anybody over the head about it, you really have hit the nail on the head with a lot of the issues of the problems with our healthcare industry here in the United States. And I think it's about time that somebody really shows that and the challenges and the difficulties of getting care. And I think you, you've executed that beautifully. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I think it is um, absolutely an, an important struggle to highlight. Um, and it, it's part of her journey as well and, you know, and where she's going because she's faced all these struggles um, that, that, yes, we're able to highlight within a very fun sort of sexy crime thriller mm-hmm. crime drama. Um, but to, to show the struggles for different people when, when you don't have status or you don't have insurance or you don't have money. Um, and there's so many issues um, along the way with, with many of the characters and struggling to find, like, what is the solution? And quite often people have to find out-of-box solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, is a, it is a journey, and it is a journey that, uh, you know, is important to, to, to show and to um, you know, help people find their path. I, I recently read an article um, after we'd already aired our show where somebody needed um, a, a liver transplant and went to a hospital and they said, unless you have half a million dollars, we can't give it to you. Yeah. And and so they set up a GoFundMe page and ultimately went to Mexico. And I thought, oh, that's fantastic. We got it right. Um, you know, but, you know, not fantastic in that people have to do that. Like they have to go to other countries or find alternative measures to actually save their loved ones. And it's, it is a real struggle. Yeah. And the fact that you do bring organ donation and stem cell research, you bring those issues to light. And those are issues that need a light shown on them. And we don't see that. And you give us that, too. Um, and again, without shoving it down anybody's throat, it's just part and parcel to Tony's journey and what she's facing um, for as a parent for her child. And I love the fact that just because she can't practice medicine in the United States doesn't mean that she doesn't use her medical skills when she needs to. Uh, right. <laughs> you never dumb her down. She's not sitting off in a corner somewhere being quiet she uses her brain she uses her skill set and seeing a strong woman like that is always a good thing to see on television and you know it's a it's not a pay channel so everybody can see it 
Yeah, that's been um, incredible, actually, that we've had so, such a, an amazing response um, and a reception from from a, such a broad audience, um, you know, that we were getting 5.2 million viewers a week and that the pilot alone had 11.9 million viewers. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really fantastic to be able to show that journey uh, that she faces. And, and, and yes, as, as a woman, as a mother, as a doctor, she's as an immigrant, as an undocumented immigrant, she's yeah. all these things. And, and she is strong and intelligent and resilient. And she doesn't take no for an answer. Um, and that is actually, I think, very representative of a lot of parents, a lot of mothers mm -hmm. and yeah. a lot of immigrants who have to just figure it out any way they can and, and um, you know, not allow themselves to be backed against a wall or to be pushed into a corner, um, you know, because, like, that is her drive to save her son. And, and it is uh, such a powerful drive um, and representative of a lot of people who face these struggles. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about how you broke this down into 10 episodes. Um, because I find that because we're, we're, you know, you're watching it, and, God, you want it to keep going right at that moment. But no, we got to wait for the next one. So <laughs> <laughs> how did, did you go about structuring each of these episodes? Each has a distinct theme uh, and focus. And I have to say, some of the titles for the episodes are great. I mean, The Icebox, uh, Full on Gangsta. Okay. <laughs> you got some great titles here for your episodes, Miranda. So, but I'm curious how you broke down the episodes to craft the scripts did you did you sit down and start breaking out the whole series at one time and then work piecemeal or you know pass it around what was this process like to break it up and come up with the individual episodic themes well it is definitely a process um so the initial development is uh, you know, taking the original idea and um, and and sort of crafting, well, what, you know, what is the story that I want to tell, you know, with a specific point of view, with these specific characters and relationships. Um, and then so the first stage of that is actually developing a pitch. Um, and so I developed the show with Warner Brothers for five months, um, getting this pitch ready, which which talks about the characters and what's the pilot episode, the first episode, and then what is the overall arc for the first season, and then touching on, well, what would be the subsequent season. So once that pitch was ready, then we um, attached Melissa Carter, the, the showrunner, um, and then we pitched it to Fox. Uh, well, we pitched it to the networks, and Fox picked it up right away. So then um, the pilot script is written. So I wrote that script. Um, and then once they were happy with the script, they actually wanted to know, well, how is this really going to translate into a season? Because, you know, it's a, it's a show unlike any other, you right. know, it's not, you know, there's so many different elements to it. And, um, you know, cause it's not a procedural and even as a serialized show, like there's so many different kinds of elements that, that are put together that we don't normally see in a show. And so they wanted to know, okay, what is a season? So I went back and pitched the overall season. And then from there, uh, 
the pilot episode was greenlit to be shot. So they wanted to see what it would look like, how, you know, how a cast would come together, how the production would come together. And, you know, fortunately, we ended up with a, a fantastic cast all around. I think, um, you know, all of our actors really just, uh, you know, had this amazing chemistry together. And I think, you know, part of it is everyone was so passionate about telling this story mm-hmm. um, that was relevant and, you know, authentic to their own experiences. So once the pilot is shot, um, then there's test audiences, and then the network decides whether they're going to pick it up to series. So when the series is picked up, then um, then Melissa and I put together a writer's room. And then we, we basically, uh, there was eight of us, and, and, and then we talk about the season. We talk about the arc of the season, the arc for every character, um, and once we sort of map that out in a broad sense, then we dig into episode by episode, mm-hmm. and then we um, and then and then we talk about what's in every episode, and then we parcel out. Um, we assign writers to write the different episodes, mm-hmm. um, and then and then um, basically, you know, and then and then you do an overall pass to just you know make sure all the voices kind of. Um, you know, it, it all has a nice flow and everything. So that's that's a long process. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm glad you mentioned the voices because I was going to ask you about that. When you have different writers involved, you need the cohesiveness so it all sounds like one voice. Episode one, episode be it episode one, be it five, be it eight, be it ten. You've got to have that cohesion there. Otherwise, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. Um, so, but the voices all come together as one in harmony from be it episode right. one or episode 10. And I know that can be challenging, especially in an ongoing show like this. This isn't a show like a bones or something where each episode can be a standalone for all intents and purposes. Um, this is each episode is dependent and reliant upon the previous one. Uh, so you really have achieved that harmony, that vocal harmony of uh, of the series. You know, and you mentioned a very key part uh, is your cast. You know, in addition to Elodie and Adon, uh, you know, Oliver Hudson, oh my God, as Garrett, <laughs> the FBI guy. Um, he is so far removed from, um, you know, possibly reality. But he, Garrett has his own issues going on with an impending divorce, <laughs> you know, his kid um, doesn't even know what to get him for his birthday. He's so removed from things. And he always goes out of the box without thinking. Um, so this is really interesting because everything that Tony does, she thinks very methodical. What Armin does, thinks very methodical. What Hayek does, thinks very methodical. You know, Garrett kind of flies by the seat of his pants for many, in many instances, <laughs> goes rogue. Um, and Oliver Hudson is perfect in that role. Perfect. Yes, he is. He is. Yes, it's, he does tend to be more impulsive. And, and Oliver, yes, really brings a wonderful humor and charm um, and energy to the role. Um, he also brings the fact that he is a very dedicated parents 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we were already building the character to, you know, because we don't often see, you know, usually when we have FBI guys, they're very separated from their families. Yes. And, you know, it's all about the job. And we wanted to differentiate um, and have him, you know, be really struggling with his family and, and show that aspect of him. And that aspect is, you know, again, something that relates to Tony where he's dealing with his family in his own way. Um, so that's, you know, that's that that care and, and passion for his family is something Oliver himself brought to the role as well. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, he's phenomenal in the role. And the fact that, as you said, he, he does bring some humor and lightness because you do need some lighter moments in a series like this. It can't all be, you know, not so much doom and gloom, but it can't be all about this is it. This is just single narrowed focus. You've got to have something that, that lets you breathe and lets this and lets the show breathe. And that's exactly what Oliver does. Um, and you even have and your casting of Luca, Sebastian Valentino LaSalle, the twins. What a scene stealer. Boy oh boy, yeah. Miranda. <laughs> You can't help but fall in love with them. And they're, they're so precious. They're so lovely on set as well. You know, it's their, obviously their first experience. Um, their parents are lovely. Um, I mean, all around, it's, it's such a great family to work with. But he, he um, I mean, both of them, they, they each bring a little different quality as well. So it's really fascinating to watch them work um, as well. You know, and then Sean Liu who plays Fiona's son, um, Chris, he really, I love his arc. And I love what Sean does with it. Um, Because we see him as, I don't care, I don't care, you know, I'm not going to listen, I'm going to lock myself in my room, typical teenager. But then we see him stepping up and taking charge and saying, look, mom, you're being taken advantage of. Um, I'm stepping in here. You really get to see him just in season one. He's maturing and getting a whole new attitude that I suspect may help benefit the family as we move forward in season two. Um, but he's absolutely he he is a wonderful he, actor. He is a true talent. It's so multi-talented. Um, and a caregiver as well. So it's interesting you, you mentioned that because he, he will cook for the entire cast and crew on his days off. Aww. And, and he will feed the, he, you know, he's still a part of the family. He still, you know, shows like, you know, he's, he's so gracious with everyone um, and brings so much love and joy um, just as a person. And so if, and he's, a, he's such a talent. It's been amazing to, to watch him to work and and yes his character starts off very flippant um and you know he he you know he did uh you know take his circumstances for granted or what he thought they were only to you know and he was dismissive of his, of his mom you know and the struggles that she was going through because she was you know always concerned about you know getting deported and 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 you know he dismissed it until he realized that he was faced with the same situation and it's wonderful to see his character evolve, and and Sean really just yeah knocks that out of the park. Yeah, 
And then you even get some great guest stars here. I mean, you get Jay Moore, who's, he's hilarious as Councilman Knight. I got yeah. it. Uh, his freneticism is just, is fabulous. And of course, Lou Diamond Phillips. I will watch Lou Diamond Phillips in anything. Um, yeah. You know, he's wonderful. And you got Betty Buckley. <laughs> yeah. The legend, Betty Buckley, you got. Um, I think that who you're getting as guest stars, I think, are coming in for a recurring, such as Jay. Um, I think that speaks volumes about the quality of the story, the quality of the scripts, the quality of what they're seeing. Um, you don't get people like that to just randomly say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll come in your show. They want something that is meaty, that is well done, that has high standards. And, I mean, Wow. It's just on every level, Miranda. This is just an amazing, amazing series. Yeah, I wish we could have given Jay Moore more. Um, he's so fantastic. Honestly, like he just gives a look and you start cracking up. <laughs> like, there's, he's, he's hilarious. Oh, um, and him yeah, in prison. And... <laughs> Jay's character of, of Councilman Knight in prison is actually when you see him in the orange jumpsuit. That yeah. kind, that kind of <laughs> says a lot. <laughs> Yeah, he does. He says so much with just a look. Um, and, and, yes, Lou Diamond Phillips, um, also such an incredible talent. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was really fantastic um, to watch him work and, and do this this arc where he, you know, so many people didn't even know that that Lou was, um, you know, half Filipino. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting to dive into his character in a different way, um, you, you know, because it's a different way to address the immigrant, um, you know, uh, experience where he dismissed his, uh, or, you know, the character dismisses his c uh, cultural background for most of his life. Mm. Right. And, and it was saying like, don't come to me just cause I'm half Filipino. Um, and only to realize, you know, being Filipino is very much a part of who he is mm -hmm. and him having to sort of come through his own arc and realizing that, and realizing that, yeah, he, he can actually help someone instead of, um, you know, like a lot of people are just very self-centered and only out for themselves mm -hmm. um, or afraid. Um, you know, you bring up the medical issue as well is that, you know, if you're not, uh, you know, familiar with something, um, there is a lot of fear around yeah. it. And, and he needed to also be educated that being a bone marrow donor is, is really fast and easy and isn't painful. Um, you know, it used to, it used to be, but it's, it, it, it's not um, the process that they use now. And, and so, um, yeah, I think that was just a, such a fantastic storyline to showcase the struggles of people. Um, and also the reality that it, more than 50% of people who have actually signed up to be potential donors, when they're called upon, change their mind more yeah. than fifty percent, and they do that because they get busy or they like get scared or for whatever reason, and they don't realize they may be the only person out of thirty million potential donors, and that they could save a life, yeah. and that by walking away, they're taking away somebody's opportunity. So uh, you know, he really, really. Um, you know, told that story, helped us tell that story in, in such a fantastic way. 
You know, I've got to ask you because we're we are just about out of time here. Of course, we ran over. I always run over. Annie can tell you that I always run over. Uh, but <laughs> but I've got to ask you: Is there anything that you can tell us about the direction that season two is going to take? Yeah, um, you know, we we touch upon the healthcare issue and. You know, as I was developing the story, like I've always wanted to do a female Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. But when I dug into this character, you know, she's so different from Walter White, who took a, you know, who went down like a dark downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And Tony is such a different person. You know, she is a doctor. She's a mother. Her motivations are so different that, you know, the kind of crime that she would go into wouldn't. You know, she's never been going to be cooking crystal meth. No. Uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> right. And, and so I really had to ask myself, like, what, what would she do that is true to her character? And, 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 you know, the answer is that she has gone through this struggle with the healthcare system, that she realizes that she can do good mm-hmm. by helping people in her similar predicament who are undocumented and uninsured or impoverished and, and help provide um, medical services for them. So it's something that we dropped into um, episode 10. You sure did. And <laughs> um, as this is, you know, this, this is the, 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 the path um, that she is going to take where she is going to be breaking the law, but for all the right reasons. Mm-hmm which is very much what she was going through in season one as well is, is, you know, she, it it may be considered wrong. It may be illegal, but her heart is in the right place. And, and again, doing, doing the wrong thing for all the right reasons. And see, that leads me to now wonder with season two, is Garrett going to step up and could he end up being a white knight to help her navigate the illegalities? Could be. (laughs) <laughs> that's, I mean, with with episode 10, that's, uh, you know, the way that that thing is ending for episode 10. And I'm, that's what exactly what I'm thinking is it could Garrett be the person to help her navigate the illegalities? Um, so I, I'm dying. I'm dying. And of course, I want to know what happens to poor Armand. <laughs> I want to know what and now we've got to worry well, about what happened to Luca. I, oh, these things, you torture. You're torturing me, Miranda. There's a lot of reasons to come back for season two. Oh, well, <laughs> d- yeah, you know I'm coming back for season two, <laughs> without a doubt. But, yeah, I, I really want to see Tony's story and the whole and the whole healthcare issue. I really am looking forward to seeing that expanded. Um, and I can't wait to see what happens with Armand and where Garrett's going to come into play. Because obviously he's such an integral part now that he can't just disappear. And Yes, and they've developed a, a real relationship yeah. of sorts together. Yeah, I mean, he stuck her in the trunk of a car trying to bring her across the border. He got caught doing it. You can't fault the guy, even though I didn't see any <laughs> air holes in the trunk, but we won't go there. Uh <laughs> But, oh, Miranda, this is so wonderful. I mean, we're we're coming hot and heavy into Emmy season, Emmy nominations. 
you are right there at the top of my dream list for Emmy consideration for the cleaning lady. Um, this is first rate, first rate, Miranda. Oh, thank you so much, Debbie. That means a lot. I really appreciate your support. And, and obviously, you know, you, you've thought a lot about this show and um, all this. I'm so happy all the themes and characters resonate with you. Uh, I just can't wait to see what happens to them all now, what horrid things you're going to do to them. But, ah, <laughs> uh, Miranda, thank you so, so much. I hope you will come back on the show again, be it to talk about season two, be it to talk about a hopeful Emmy nomination down the line. Um, but please, come back anytime. Absolutely. I would love to chat again. Ah, oh, Miranda, thank you so, so much. And everybody can catch up with The Cleaning Lady on Fox. You can, you can watch it. You know, if, you're on, if you have Spectrum Cable, just go and, and do search for The Cleaning Lady and can sit there and binge all 10 episodes. Or you can watch it online. Um, lots of ways to get caught up before season two. Yes, it's also on Hulu as well, all oh. episodes. Well... Uh, no one has an excuse to not see it. So, ah, Miranda, thank you so, so much. And I can't wait till the next time. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks, Miranda. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Miranda Kwok, the creator, executive producer, writer of The Cleaning Lady. See it, see it, see it. It is a fabulous show. Uh, so you can see all 10 episodes now. You don't have to wait for episodes. You can see them all now. That is all the time we have, more than all the time we have. TCM Film Festival, the 21st. Go to tcm.com slash festival to get ticket information, single ticket information, pass information. Uh, don't forget, you want to read something great, pick up Lisa Scottolini's What Happened to the Bennetts. And until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Mm -hmm.